Part five of Rosalind by Thomas Lodge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Part five. Phoebe, fired with the uncouth flame of love, note, uncouth, unknown, unaccustomed, returned to her father's house so galled with restless passions as now she began to acknowledge that as there was no flower so fresh but might be parched with the sun, no tree so strong but might be shaken with a storm, so there was no thought so chaste but time, armed with love, could make amorous. For she that held Diana for the goddess of her devotion was now fain to fly to the altar of Venus as suppliant now with prayers as she was forward afore with disdain. As she lay in her bed she called to mind the several beauties of young Ganymede, First his locks, which being amber-hued, passeth the wreath that Phoebus puts on to make his front glorious. His brow of ivory was like the seat where love and majesty sits enthroned to enchain fancy. His eyes, as bright as the burnishing of heaven, darting forth frowns with disdain and smiles with favor, lightening such looks as would inflame desire were she wrapped in the circle of the frozen zone. In his cheeks the vermilion tincture of the rose flourished upon natural alabaster. The blush of the morn and Luna's silver show were so lively portrayed that the Trojan that fills out wine to Jupiter were not half so beautiful. His face was full of pleasance, and all the rest of his lineaments proportioned with such excellence as Phoebe was fettered in the sweetness of his feature. The idea of these perfections, tumbling in her mind, made the poor shepherdess so perplexed as feeling a pleasure tempered with intolerable pains, and yet a disquiet mixed with a content, she rather wished to die than to live in this amorous anguish, but wishing is little worth in such extremes, and therefore was she forced to pine in her malady without any salve for her sorrows. Reveal it she durst not, as daring in such matters to make none her secretary, note, confident, and to conceal it, why, it doubled her grief. For as fire suppressed grows to the greater flame, and the current stopped to a more violent stream, so love smothered wrings the heart with the deeper passions. Perplexed thus with sundry agonies, her food began to fail, and the disquiet of her mind began to work a distemperature of her body that, to be short, Phoebe fell extreme sick, and so sick as there was almost left no recovery of health. Her father, seeing his fair Phoebe thus distressed, sent for his friends, who sought by medicine to cure, and by counsel to pacify, but all in vain. For although her body was feeble through long fasting, yet she did magis aigratare animo quam corpora, which her friends perceived and sorrowed at, but salve it they could not. The news of her sickness was bruited abroad, through all the forest, which no sooner came to Montanus here, but he, like a madman, came to visit Phoebe, where, sitting by her bedside, he began his exordium with so many tears and sighs, that she, perceiving the extremity of his sorrows, began now as a lover to pity them, although Ganymede held her from redressing them. Montanus craved to know the cause of her sickness, tempered with secret plaints but she answered him as the rest with silence, having still the form of Ganymede in her mind, and conjecturing how she might reveal her loves. 
To utter it in words she found herself too bashful. To discourse by any friend she would not trust any in her amours. To remain thus perplexed still and conceal all it was a double death. Whereupon, for her last refuge, she resolved to write unto Ganymede, and therefore desired Montanus to absent himself a while, but not to depart, for she would see if she could steal a nap. He was no sooner gone out of the chamber, but reaching to her standish, note, a stand or case for pen and ink. She took pen and paper, and wrote a letter to this effect. Phoebe to Ganymede wisheth what she wants herself. Fair shepherd, and therefore is Phoebe infortunate, because thou art so fair. Although hitherto mine eyes were adamants to resist love, yet I no sooner saw thy face, but they became amorous to entertain love. More devoted to fancy than before they were repugnant to affection. Addicted to the one by nature, and drawn to the other by beauty, which, being rare, and made the more excellent by many virtues, hath so snared the freedom of Phoebe, as she rests at thy mercy, either to be made the most fortunate of all maidens, or the most miserable of all women. Measure not, Ganymede, my loves by my wealth, nor my desires by my degrees, but think my thoughts are as full of faith as thy face of amiable favors. Then, as thou knowest thyself most beautiful, suppose me most constant. If thou deemest me hard-hearted because I hated Montanus, think I was forced to it by fate. If thou sayest I am kind-hearted because so lightly I loved thee at the first look, think I was driven to it by destiny, whose influence, as it is mighty, so it is not to be resisted. If my fortunes were anything but infortunate love, I would strive with fortune. But he that rests against the will of Venus, note, rests, wrestles, seeks to quench fire with oil, and to thrust out one thorn by putting in another. If then, Ganymede, love enters at the eye, harbors in the heart, and will neither be driven out with physic nor reason, pity me, as one whose malady hath no salve but from thy sweet self, whose grief hath no ease but through thy grant, and think I am a virgin who is deeply wronged when I am forced to woo, and conjecture love to be strong that is more forcible than nature. Thus distressed, unless by thee eased, I expect either to live fortunate by thy favor, or die miserable by thy denial. Living in hope, farewell. She that must be thine, or not be at all, Phoebe. To this letter she annexed this sonnet. Sonetto. My boat doth pass the straits of seas incensed with fire, Filled with forgetfulness amidst the winter's night. A blind and careless boy, brought up by fond desire, Doth guide me in the sea of sorrow and despite. For every oar he sets a rank of foolish thoughts, And cuts, instead of wave, a hope without distress. The winds of my deep sighs, that thunder still for knots, have slit my sails with fear, with care, with heaviness. A mighty storm of tears, a black and hideous cloud, a thousand fierce disdains do slack the halyards oft, till ignorance do pull and error hail the shrouds, no star for safety shines, no Phoebe from aloft. Time hath subdued art, and joy is slave to woe, 
Alas, love's guide, be kind. What, shall I perish so? This letter and the sonnet being ended, she could find no fit messenger to send it by, and therefore she called in Montanus, and entreated him to carry it to Ganymede. Although poor Montanus saw day at a little hole, and did perceive what passion pinched her, yet that he might seem dutiful to his mistress in all service, he dissembled the matter, and became a willing messenger of his own martyrdom. And so, taking the letter, went the next morn very early to the plains where Eliana fed her flocks, and there he found Ganymede sitting under a pomegranate tree, sorrowing for the hard fortunes of her Rossiter. Montanus saluted him, and, according to his charge, delivered Ganymede the letters, which, he said, came from Phoebe. At this the wanton blushed, as being abashed to think what news should come from an unknown shepherdess. But, taking the letters, unripped the seals, and read over the discourse of Phoebe's fancies. When she had read and overread them, Ganymede began to smile, and looking on Montanus, fell into a great laughter, and with that called Aliena, to whom she showed the writings, who, having perused them, conceited them very pleasantly, and smiled to see how love had yoked her, who before disdained to stoop to the lure. Aliena, whispering Ganymede in the ear, and saying, Knew Phoebe what want there were in thee to perform her will, and how unfit thy kind is to be kind to her, she would be more wise and less enamoured. But leaving that, I pray thee, let us sport with this swain. At that word, Ganymede, turning to Montanus, began to glance at him, thus. Note. Glance at him. Tease him. I pray thee tell me, shepherd, by those sweet thoughts and pleasing sighs that grow from my mistress' favors, art thou in love with Phoebe? Oh, my youth, quoth Montanus, were Phoebe so far in love with me, my flocks would be more fat and their master more quiet, for through the sorrows of my discontent grows the leanness of my sheep. Alas, poor swain, quoth Ganymede, are thy passions so extreme, or thy fancy so resolute, that no reason will blemish the pride of thy affection, and raise out that which thou strivest for without hope. Nothing can make me forget Phoebe while Montanus forget himself, for those characters which true love hath stamped, neither the envy of time nor fortune can wipe away. Why, but Montanus, quoth Ganymede, enter with a deep insight into the despair of thy fancies, and thou shalt see the depth of thine own follies. For, poor man, thy progress in love is a regress to loss, swimming against the stream with the crab, and flying with apis indica against wind and weather. Thou seekest with Phoebus to win Daphne, and she flies faster than thou canst follow. Thy desires soar with the hobby. Note, falcon. But her disdain reacheth higher than thou canst make wing. I tell thee, Montanus, in courting Phoebe, thou barkest with the wolves of Syria against the moon, and rovest at such a mark with thy thoughts as is beyond the pitch of thy bow. Note, pitch, range. Praying to love when love is pitiless, and thy malady remediless. For proof, Montanus, read these letters, wherein thou shalt see thy great follies and little hope. With that, Montanus took them and perused them, but with such sorrow in his looks, as they betrayed a source of confused passions in his heart. 
at every line his color changed, and every sentence was ended with a period of sighs. At last, noting Phoebe's extreme desire toward Ganymede and her disdain towards him, giving Ganymede the letter, the shepherd stood as though he had neither won nor lost, which Ganymede perceiving, wakened him out of his dream thus. Now, Montanus, dost thou see thou vowest great service and obtainest but little reward? But in lieu of thy loyalty she maketh thee as Bellerophon carry thine own bane. Then drink not willingly of that potion wherein thou knowest is poison. Creep not to her that cares not for thee. What, Montanus, there are many as fair as Phoebe, but most of all more courteous than Phoebe. I tell thee, shepherd, favor is love's fuel. Then, since thou canst not get that, let the flame vanish into smoke, and rather sorrow for a while than repent thee for ever. I tell thee, Ganymede, quoth Montanus, as they which are stung with the scorpion cannot be recovered but by the scorpion, nor he that was wounded with Achilles' lance be cured but with the same truncheon. Note, spear. So Apollo was fain to cry out that love was only eased with love, and fancy healed by no medicine but favor. Phoebus had herbs to heal all hurts but this passion. Circe had charms for all chances but for affection, and Mercury subtle reasons to refel all griefs but love. Persuasions are bootless, reason lends no remedy, counsel no comfort to such whom fancy hath made resolute. And therefore, though Phoebe loves Ganymede, yet Montanus must honor none but Phoebe. Then, quoth Ganymede, may I rightly term thee a despairing lover, that livest without joy and lovest without hope. But what shall I do, Montanus, to pleasure thee? Shall I despise Phoebe as she disdains thee? O, oh, quoth Montanus, that were to renew my griefs and double my sorrows, for the sight of her discontent were the censure of my death. Note. Censure. Sentence. Alas, Ganymede, though I perish in my thoughts, let not her die in her desires. Of all passions, love is the most impatient. Then let not so fair a creature as Phoebe sink under the burden of so deep a distress. Being lovesick, she is proved heartsick and all for the beauty of Ganymede. Thy proportion hath entangled her affection, and she is snared in the beauty of thy excellence. Then, since she loves thee so dear, mislike not her, deadly. Be thou paramour to such a paragon. She hath beauty to content thine eye, and flocks to enrich thy store. Thou canst not wish for more than thou shalt win by her. For she is beautiful, virtuous, and wealthy, three deep persuasions to make love frolic. Aliena, seeing Montanus cut it against the hair and plead that Ganymede ought to love Phoebe, when his only life was the love of Phoebe, answered him thus, Why, Montanus, dost thou further this motion, seeing if Ganymede marry Phoebe, thy market is clean marred? Ah, mistress, quoth he, so hath love taught me to honor Phoebe, that I would prejudice my life to pleasure her and die in despair, rather than she should perish for want. It shall suffice me to see her contented, and to feed mine eye on her favor. If she marry, though it be my martyrdom, yet if she be pleased, I will brook it with patience, and triumph in mine own stars to see her desires satisfied. 
Therefore, if Ganymede be as courteous as he is beautiful, let him show his virtues in redressing Phoebe's miseries. And this Montanus pronounced with such an assured countenance that it amazed both Aliena and Ganymede to see the resolution of his loves, so that they pitied his passions and commended his patience, devising how they might by any subtlety get Montanus the favor of Phoebe. Straight as women's heads are full of wiles, Ganymede had a fetch. Note, device. To force Phoebe to fancy the shepherd malgrado the resolution of her mind. Note, malgrado in spite of. He prosecuted his policy thus. Montanus, quoth he, seeing Phoebe is so forlorn, lest I might be counted unkind in not salving so fair a creature, I will go with thee to Phoebe, and there hear herself in word utter that which she hath discoursed with her pen. And then, as love wills me, I will set down my censure. Note, decision. I will home by our house, and send Coridan to accompany Aliena. Montana seemed glad of this determination, and away they go towards the house of Phoebe. When they drew nigh to the cottage, Montanus ran before, and went in and told Phoebe that Ganymede was at the door. This word, Ganymede, sounding in the ears of Phoebe, drave her into such an ecstasy for joy, that rising up in her bed, she was half revived, and her wan color began to wax red. And with that came Ganymede in, who saluted Phoebe with such a courteous look, that it was half a salve to her sorrows. Sitting him down by her bedside, he questioned about her disease, and where the pain chiefly held her. Phoebe, looking as lovely as Venus in her night-gear, tainting her face with as ruddy a blush as Clytia did when she bewrayed her loves to Phoebus, taking Ganymede by the hand, began thus. Fair shepherd, if love were not more strong than nature, or fancy the sharpest extreme, my immodesty were the more, and my virtues the less, for nature hath framed women's eyes bashful, their hearts full of fear, and their tongues full of silence. But love, that imperious love, where his power is predominant, then he perverts all, and resteth the wealth of nature to his own will. An instance in myself, fair Ganymede, for such a fire hath he kindled in my thoughts, that to find ease for the flame I was forced to pass the bounds of modesty, and seek a salve at thy hands for my harms. Blame me not if I be overbold, for it is thy beauty, and if I be too forward it is fancy, and the deep insight into thy virtues that makes me thus fond. For let me say in a word what may be contained in a volume, Phoebe loves Ganymede. At this she held down her head and wept and Ganymede rose, as one that would suffer no fish to hang on his fingers, made this reply. Water not thy plants, Phoebe, for I do pity thy plaints, nor seek not to discover thy loves in tears, for I conjecture thy truth by thy passions. Sorrow is no salve for loves, nor sighs no remedy for affection. Therefore frolic, Phoebe, for if Ganymede can cure thee, doubt not of recovery. Yet this let me say without offence that it grieves me to thwart Montanus in his fancies, seeing his desires have been so resolute and his thoughts so loyal. But thou allegest thou art forced from him by fate. So I tell thee, Phoebe, either some star, or else some destiny fits my mind rather with Adonis to die in chase than be counted a wanton in Venus' knee. 
Although I pity thy martyrdom, yet I can grant no marriage. For though I held thee fair, yet mine eye is not fettered. Love grows not like the herb spatana to his perfection in one night, but creeps with the snail, and yet at last attains to the top. Festina lente, especially in love, for momentary fancies are oft-times the fruits of follies. If, Phoebe, I should like thee as the hyperborei do their dates, which banquet with them in the morning, and throw them away at night, my folly should be great, and thy repentance more. Therefore I will have time to turn my thoughts, and my love shall grow up as the watercresses, slowly, but with a deep root. Thus, Phoebe, thou mayst see I disdain not, though I desire not, remaining indifferent till time and love makes me resolute. Therefore, Phoebe, seek not to suppress affection, and with the love of Montanus quench the remembrance of Ganymede. Strive thou to hate me, as I seek to like of thee, and ever have the duties of Montanus in thy mind, for I promise thee thou mayst have one more wealthy, but not more loyal. These words were choruses to the perplexed Phoebe, but sobbing out sighs and straining out tears, she blubbered out these words. And shall I then have no salve of Ganymede but suspense? No hope but a doubtful hazard? No comfort but be posted off to the will of time? Justly have the gods balanced my fortunes, who, being cruel to Montanus, found Ganymede as unkind to myself. So in forcing him perish for love, I shall die myself with overmuch love. I am glad, quoth Ganymede, you look into your own faults, and see where your shrew rings you, measuring now the pains of Montanus by your own passions. Truth, quoth Phoebe, and so deeply I repent me of my frowardness toward the shepherd, that could I cease to love Ganymede, I would resolve to like Montanus. What if I can with reason persuade Phoebe to mislike of Ganymede, will she then favor Montanus? When reason, quoth she, doth quench that love I owe to thee, then will I fancy him, conditionally that if my love can be suppressed with no reason, as being without reason, Ganymede will only wed himself to Phoebe. I grant it, fair shepherdess, quoth he, and to feed thee with the sweetness of hope, this resolve on, I will never marry myself to woman but unto thyself. And with that, Ganymede gave Phoebe a fruitless kiss, and such words of comfort that before Ganymede departed, she arose out of her bed and made him and Montana such cheer as could be found in such a country cottage. Ganymede, in the midst of their banquet, rehearsing the promises of either in Montana's favor, which highly pleased the shepherd. Thus all three content and soothed up in hope, Ganymede took his leave of his Phoebe and departed, leaving her a contented woman, and Montanus highly pleased. But poor Ganymede, who had her thoughts on her Rossiter, when she called to remembrance his wounds, filled her eyes full of tears, and her heart full of sorrows, plodded to find Aliena at the folds, thinking with her presence to drive away her passions. As she came on the plains, she might espy, where Rosader and Saladine sat with Aliena under the shade, which sight was a salve to her grief, and such a cordial unto her heart, that she tripped alongst the lawns full of joy. At last Coridon, who was with them, spied Ganymede, 
and with that the clown rose and running to meet him cried oh sir a match a match our mistress shall be married on sunday thus the poor peasant frolicked it before ganymede who coming to the crew saluted them all and especially rosader saying that he was glad to see him so well recovered of his wounds i had not gone abroad so soon quoth rosader but that i am bidden to a marriage which on sunday next must be solemnized between my brother and aliena i see well where love leads delay is loathsome and that small wooing serves where both parties are willing truth quoth ganymede but a happy day should it be if rosader that day might be married to rosalind ah good ganymede quoth he by naming rosalind renew not my sorrows for the thought of her perfections is the thrall of my miseries tush be of good cheer man quoth ganymede i have a friend that is deeply experienced in necromancy and magic what art can do shall be acted for thine advantage i will cause him to bring in rosalind if either france or any bordering nation harbor her and upon that take the faith of a young shepherd aliena smiled to see how rosader frowned thinking that ganymede had jested with him but breaking off from those matters the page somewhat pleasant began to discourse unto them what had passed between him and phoebe which as they laughed so they wondered at all confessing that there is none so chaste but love will change thus they passed away the day in chat and when the sun began to set they took their leaves and departed aliena providing for their marriage day such solemn cheer and handsome robes as fitted their country estate and yet somewhat the better in that rosader had promised to bring gerismond thither as a guest ganymede who then meant to discover herself before her father had made her a gown of green and a kirtle of the finest sendal note a thin silk in such sort that she seemed some heavenly nymph harbored in country attire saladine was not behind in care to set out the nuptials nor rosader unmindful to bid guests who invited gerismond and all his followers to the feast who willingly granted so that there was nothing but the day wanting to this marriage in the meanwhile phoebe being a bidden guest made herself as gorgeous as might be to please the eye of ganymede and montanus suited himself with the cost of many of his flocks to be gallant against the day for then was ganymede to give phoebe an answer of her loves and montanus either to hear the doom of his misery or the censure of his happiness but while this gear was a-brewing phoebe passed not one day without visiting her ganymede so far was she wrapped in the beauties of this lovely swain much prattle they had and the discourse of many passions phoebe wishing for the day as she thought of her welfare and ganymede smiling to think what unexpected events would fall out at the wedding in these humors the week went away that at last sunday came no sooner did phoebus henchman appear in the sky to give warning that his master's horses should be trapped in his glorious coach but coridan in his holiday suit marvellous seemly in a russet jacket welted with the same and faced with red worsted having a pair of blue camlet sleeves bound at the wrists with four yellow laces closed before very richly with a dozen of pewter buttons his hose was of gray kersey with a large slop note a smock frock or possibly trousers 
barred athwart the pocket holes with three fair guards, stitched of either side with red thread. His stock was of the own, sewed close to his breech, and for to beautify his hose he had trussed himself round with a dozen of new threadened points, note, laces, of medley color. His bonnet was green, whereon stood a copper brooch with a picture of St. Dennis, and to want nothing that might make him amorous in his old days, he had a fair shirt-band of fine lochram, note, linen, whipped over with coventry blue of no small cost. Thus attired, Coridan bestirred himself as chief stickler in these actions, note, stickler, manager, and had strode all the house with flowers, that it seemed rather some of Flora's choice bowers than any country cottage. Thither repaired Phoebe with all the maids of the forest to set out the bride in the most seemliest sort that might be, but howsoever she helped to prank out Aliena, yet her eye was still on Ganymede, who was so neat in a suit of grey that he seemed endymion when he won Luna with his looks, or Paris when he played the swain to get the beauty of the nymph Inoni. Ganymede, like a pretty page, waited on his mistress Aliena, and overlooked that all was in a readiness against the bridegroom should come, who, attired in a forester's suit, came accompanied with Gerismund and his brother Rossiter early in the morning, where, arrived, they were solemnly entertained by Aliena and the rest of the country swains, Gerismund very highly commending the fortunate choice of Saladine, in that he had chosen the shepherdess whose virtues appeared in her outward beauties, being no less fair than seeming modest. Ganymede, coming in and seeing her father, began to blush, nature working affects, note, affections, by her secret effects. Scarce could she abstain from tears to see her father in so low fortunes. He that was wont to sit in his royal palace attended on by twelve noble peers, now to be contented with a simple cottage and a troop of reveling woodmen for his train. The consideration of his fall made Ganymede full of sorrows, yet that she might triumph over fortune with patience, and not any way dash that merry day with her dumps, she smothered her melancholy with a shadow of mirth, and very reverently welcomed the king, not according to his former degree, but to his present estate with such diligence as Gerismund began to commend the page for his exquisite person and excellent qualities. As thus the king with his foresters frolicked it among the shepherds, Coridan came in with a fair mazer full of cider, note, mazer, mug, and presented it to Gerismund with such a clownish salute that he began to smile and took it of the old shepherd very kindly, drinking to Aliena and the rest of her fair maids, amongst whom Phoebe was the foremost. Aliena pledged the king and drunk to Rossiter, so the carouse went round from him to Phoebe, etc. As they were thus drinking and ready to go to church, came in Montanus, apparelled all in tawny to signify that he was forsaken. On his head he wore a garland of willow, his bottle hanged by his side, whereon was painted despair, and on his sheep-hook hung two sonnets, as labels of his loves and fortunes. Thus attired came Montanus in, with his face as full of grief as his heart was of sorrows, showing in his countenance the map of extremities. As soon as the shepherds saw him, they did him all the honor they could, 
as being the flower of all the swains in Arden. For a bonnier boy was there not seen since the wanton wag of Troy that kept sheep in Ida. He, seeing the king and guessing it to be Gerismund, did him all the reverence his country courtesy could afford, insomuch that the king, wondering at his attire, began to question what he was. Montanus, overhearing him, made this reply. I am, sir, quoth he, love swain, as full of inward discontents as I seem fraught with outward follies. Mine eyes, like bees, delight in sweet flowers, but sucking their full on the fairer beauty they carry home to the hive of my heart, far more gall than honey, and for one drop of pure dew a ton full of deadly aconitin. I hunt with the fly to pursue the eagle, that flying too nigh the sun I perish with the sun. My thoughts are above my reach, and my desires more than my fortunes, yet neither greater than my loves. But daring with Phaeton I fall with Icarus, and seeking to pass the mean I die for being so mean. My night sleeps are waking slumbers, as full of sorrows as they be far from rest, and my day's labors are fruitless amours, staring at a star and stumbling at a straw, leaving reason to follow after repentance. Yet every passion is a pleasure, though it pinch, because love hides his worm-seed. Note, wormwood, bitterness. In figs, his poisons in sweet potions, and shadows prejudice with the mask of pleasure. The wisest counsellors are my deep discontents, and I hate that which should salve my harm, like the patient which, stung with the tarantula, loathes music, and yet the disease incurable but by melody. Thus, sir, restless, I hold myself remediless, as loving without either reward or regard, and yet loving because there is none worthy to be loved but the mistress of my thoughts, and that I am as full of passions as I have discoursed in my plaints, sir, if you please see my sonnets, and by them censure of my sorrows. These words of Montanus brought the king into a great wonder, amazed as much as his wit as his attire, insomuch that he took the papers off his hook, and read them to this effect. Montanus' first sonnet. Alas, how wander I amidst these woods, whereas no daybright shine doth find excess. But where the melancholy fleeting floods, dark as the night, my night of woes express. Disarmed of reason, spoiled of nature's goods, without redress to salve my heaviness I walk, whilst thought, too cruel to my harms, with endless grief my heedless judgment charms. My silent tongue, assailed by secret fear, my traitorous eyes imprisoned in their joy, my fatal peace devoured in feigned cheer, my heart enforced to harbor in annoy, my reason robbed of power by yielding ear, my fond opinions slave to every toy. O oh, love, thou guide in my uncertain way, woe to thy bow, thy fire, the cause of my decay. At Florida Pungut. When the king had read the sonnet, he highly commended the device of the shepherd that could so wittily wrap his passions in a shadow, and so covertly conceal that which bred his chiefest discontent, affirming that as the least shrubs have their tops, the smallest hairs their shadows, so the meanest swains had their fancies, 
and in their kind were as chary of love as a king. Whetted on with this device, he took the second and read it. The effects were these. Montana's second sonnet. When the dog, note, Sirius the dog star, full of rage, with his ireful eyes, frowns amidst the skies, the shepherd, to assuage the fury of the heat, himself doth safely seat by a fount full of fair, where a gentle breath mounting from beneath tempereth the air. There his flocks drink their fill, and with ease repose, whilst sweet sleep doth close eyes from toilsome ill. But I burn without rest, no defensive power shields from Phoebe's lower. Sorrow is my best, gentle love, lower no more. If thou wilt invade in the secret shade, labor not so sore. I myself and my flocks, they their love to please, I myself to ease, both leave the shady oaks, content to burn in fire, sith love doth so desire. At Florida Pungunt. Gerismund, seeing the pithy vein of these sonnets, began to make further inquiry what he was. Whereupon Rosader discoursed unto him the love of Montanus to Phoebe, his great loyalty and her deep cruelty, and how, in revenge, the gods had made the curious nymph amorous of young Ganymede. Upon this discourse the king was desirous to see Phoebe, who, being brought before Gerismund by Rosader, shadowed the beauty of her face with such a vermilion tincture that the king's eyes began to dazzle at the purity of her excellence. After Gerismund had fed his looks a while upon her fair, he questioned with her why she rewarded Montanus' love with so little regard, seeing his deserts were many and his passions extreme. Phoebe, to make reply to the king's demand, answered thus, Love, sir, is charity in his laws, and whatsoever he sets down for justice, be it never so unjust, the sentence cannot be reversed. Women's fancies lend favors not ever by desert, but as they are enforced by their desires. For fancy is tied to the wings of fate, and what the stars decree stands for an infallible doom. I know Montanus is wise, and women's ears are greatly delighted with wit, as hardly escaping the charm of a pleasant tongue, as Ulysses, the melody of the sirens. Montanus is beautiful and women's eyes are snared in the excellence of objects as desirous to feed their looks with a fair face as the bee to suck on a sweet flower montanus is wealthy and an ounce of give me persuades a woman more than a pound of hear me danae was one with a golden shower when she could not be gotten with all the entreaties of jupiter i tell you sir the string of a woman's heart reacheth to the pulse of her hand and let a man rub that with gold and tis hard but she will prove his heart's gold montanus is young a great clause in fancy's court montanus is virtuous the richest argument that love yields and yet knowing all these perfections i praise them and wonder at them loving the qualities but not affecting the person because the destinies have set down a contrary censure. Yet Venus, to add revenge, hath given me wine of the same grape, a sip of the same sauce, 
and firing me with the like passion hath crossed me with as ill a penance for i am in love with a shepherd's swain as coy to me as i am cruel to montanus as peremptory in disdain as i was perverse in desire and that is quoth she alienus page young ganymede gerismond desirous to prosecute the end of these passions called in ganymede who knowing the case came in graced with such a blush as beautified the crystal of his face with a ruddy brightness the king noting well the physnomy of ganymede began by his favours to call to mind the face of his rosalind and with that fetched a deep sigh rossiter that was passing familiar with gerismond demanded of him why he sighed so sore because rossiter quoth he the favour of ganymede puts me in mind of rosalind at this word rossiter sighed so deeply as though his heart would have burst and what's the matter quoth gerismond that you quite me with such a sigh pardon me sir quoth rossiter because i love none but rosalind and upon that condition quoth gerismond that rosalind were here i would this day make up a marriage betwixt her and thee at this aliena turned her head and smiled upon ganymede and she could scarce keep countenance yet she salved all with secrecy and gerismond to drive away his dumps questioned with ganymede what the reason was he regarded not phoebe's love seeing she was as fair as the wanton that brought troy to ruin ganymede mildly answered if i should affect the fair phoebe i should offer poor montanus great wrong to win that from him in a moment that he hath laboured for so many months yet have i promised to the beautiful shepherdess to wed myself never to woman except unto her but with this promise that if i can by reason suppress phoebe's love towards me she shall like of none but of montanus to that quoth phoebe i stand for my love is so far beyond reason as will admit no persuasion of reason for justice quoth he i appeal to garrison and to his censure will i stand quoth phoebe and in your victory quoth montanus stands the hazard of my fortunes for if ganymede go away with conquest montanus is in conceit love's monarch if phoebe win then am i in effect most miserable we will see this controversy quoth gerismond then we will to church therefore ganymede let us hear your argument nay pardon my absence a while quoth she and you shall see one in store in went ganymede and dressed herself in woman's attire having on a gown of green with kirtle of rich sandal note a thin silk so quaint that she seemed diana triumphing in the forest upon her head she wore a chaplet of roses which gave her such a grace that she looked like flora perked in the pride of all her flowers thus attired came rosalind in and presented herself at her father's feet with her eyes full of tears craving his blessing and discoursing unto him all her fortunes how she was banished by torresmond and how ever since she lived in that country disguised gerismond seeing his daughter rose from his seat and fell upon her neck uttering the passions of his joy in watery plaints driven into such an ecstasy of content that he could not utter one word 
At this sight, if Rosader was both amazed and joyful, I refer myself to the judgment of such as have experience in love, seeing as Rosalind before his face, whom so long and deeply he had affected. At last Gerismund recovered his spirits, and in most fatherly terms entertained his daughter Rosalind, after many questions demanding of her what had passed between her and Rosader. So much, sir, quoth she, as there wants nothing but your grace to make up the marriage. Why then, quoth Gerismund, Rosader, take her, she is thine, and let this day solemnize both thy brothers and thy nuptials. Rosader, beyond measure content, humbly thanked the king and embraced his Rosalind, who, turning to Phoebe, demanded if she had shown sufficient reason to suppress the force of her loves. Yea, quoth Phoebe, and so great a persuasive, that if it please you, madame, and Aliena, to give us leave, Montanus and I will make this day the third couple in marriage. She had no sooner spake this word, but Montanus threw away his garland of willow, his bottle where was painted despair, and cast his sonnets in the fire, showing himself as frolic as Paris, when he hanseled his love with Helena. Note, hanseled began. At this, Gerismund and the rest smiled, and concluded that Montanus and Phoebe should keep their wedding with the two brethren. Aliena, seeing Saladine stand in a dump, note, reverie, to wake him from his dream began thus, Why, how now, my Saladin, all a mort? Note, dead. What, melancholy man, at the day of marriage? Perchance thou art sorrowful to think on thy brother's high fortunes, and thine own base desires to choose so mean a shepherdess. Cheer up thy heart, man, for this day thou shalt be married to the daughter of a king, for no Saladine, I am not Aliena, but Alinda, the daughter of thy mortal enemy, Torisman. At this all the company was amazed, especially Gerismund, who, rising up, took Alinda in his arms, and said to Rosalind, Is this that fair Alinda, famous for so many virtues, that forsook her father's court to live with thee exiled in the country? The same, quoth Rosalind. Then, quoth Gerismund, turning to Saladine, Jolly forester, be frolic, for thy fortunes are great, and thy desires excellent. Thou hast got a princess as famous for her perfection, as exceeding in proportion. And she hath with her beauty one, quoth Saladine, an humble servant, as full of faith as she of amiable favor. While everyone was amazed with these comical events, Coridan came skipping in, and told them that the priest was at church, and tarried for their coming. With that, Gerismund led the way, and the rest followed, where, to the admiration of all the country swains in Arden, their marriages were solemnly solemnized. As soon as the priest had finished, home they went with Alinda, where Coridan had made all things in readiness. Dinner was provided, and the tables being spread, and the bride set down by Gerismund, Rosader, Saladine, and Montanus that day were servitors. Homely cheer they had, such as their country could afford, but to mend their fare they had mickle good chat and many discourses of their loves and fortunes. About mid-dinner, to make them merry, Coridan came in with an old crowd, note, 
an old-fashioned violin with six strings, and played them a fit of mirth to which he sung this pleasant song. Chord and song. A blithe and bonny country lass, hey ho the bonny lass, sate sighing on the tender grass, and weeping said, Will none come wooer? A smicker boy, note, amorous, wanton, a lither swain, hey ho a smicker swain, that in his love was wanton, fain with smiling looks came straight unto her. When as the wanton wench espied, hey ho, when she espied, the means to make herself a bride, she simpered smooth like bonny bell. The swain that saw her squint-eyed kind, hey ho, squint-eyed kind, his arms about her body twined, and fair lass, how fare you well? The country kit said, well forsooth, hey ho, well forsooth, but that I have a longing tooth, a longing tooth that makes me cry. Alas, said he, what gars thy grief? Note, gars occasions. What gars thy grief? Hey, ho, what gars thy grief? A wound, quoth she, without relief. I fear a maid that I shall die. If that be all, the shepherd said, Hey, ho, the shepherd said, I'll make thee wive a gentle maid, And so recure thy malady. Hereon they kissed with many an oath. Hey, ho, with many an oath. And for God Pan did plight their troth, And to the church they hide them fast. And God send every pretty peat, Note, pet, Hey-ho, the pretty peat, That fears to die of this conceit, So kind a friend to help at last. Corridon having thus made them merry, As they were in the midst of their jollity, Word was brought in to Saladine and Rosader That a brother of theirs, one Fernadine, was arrived, and desired to speak with them. Gerismund, overhearing this news, demanded who it was. It is, sir, quoth Rosader, our middle brother, that lives a scholar in Paris. But what fortune hath driven him to seek us out, I know not. With that, Saladine went and met his brother, whom he welcomed with all courtesy, and Rosader gave him no less friendly entertainment. Brought he was by his two brothers into the parlour, where they all sat at dinner. Fernadine, as one that knew as many manners as he could, note, knew, points of sophistry, and was as well brought up as well lettered, saluted them all. But when he espied Gerismund, kneeling on his knee, he did him what reverence belonged to his estate, and with that burst forth into these speeches. Although, right mighty prince, this day of my brother's marriage be a day of mirth, yet time craves another course, and therefore from dainty Kate's rise to sharp weapons and you the sons of sir john of bordeaux leave off your amours and fall to arms change your loves into lances and now this day show yourselves as valiant as hitherto you have been passionate for no garrisman that hard by at the edge of this forest the twelve peers of france are up in arms to recover thy right and torismond trooped with a crew of desperate runagates no, vagabonds, renegades, is ready to bid them battle. The armies are ready to join. Therefore, show thyself in the field to encourage thy subjects, and you, Saladine and Rosader, mount you, and show yourselves as hardy soldiers as you have been hearty lovers. So shall you, for the benefit of your country, discover the idea of your father's virtues to be stamped in your thoughts, and prove children worthy of so honorable a parent. At this alarm, 
given him by Fernadine, Garrison leaped from the board, and Saladine and Rosader betook themselves to their weapons. Nay, quoth Garrison, go with me. I have horse and armor for us all, and then, being well mounted, let us show that we carry revenge and honor at our falchion's points. Thus they leave the brides full of sorrow, especially Alinda, who desired Garrison to be good to her father. He, not returning a word because his haste was great, hide him home to his lodge, where he delivered Saladine and Rosader horse and armor, and himself, armed royally, led the way. Not having ridden two leagues before they discovered where, in a valley, both the battles were joined. Garrison, seeing the wing wherein the peers fought, thrust in there, and cried, Saint-Denis! Garrison, laying on such load upon his enemies that he showed how highly he did estimate of a crown. When the peers perceived that their lawful king was there, they grew more eager, and Saladine and Rosader so behaved themselves that none durst stand in their way, nor abide the fury of their weapons. To be short, the peers were conquerors, Torismund's army put to flight, and himself slain in battle. The peers then gathered themselves together, and saluted their king, conducted him royally into Paris, where he was received with great joy of all the citizens. As soon as all was quiet, and he had received again the crown, he sent for Elinda and Rosalind to the court, Elinda being very passionate for the death of her father, yet brooking it with the more patience in that she was contented with the welfare of her Saladine. Well, as soon as they were come to Paris, Garrison made a royal feast for the peers and lords of his land, which continued thirty days, in which time, summoning a parliament, by the consent of his nobles, he created Rosader heir apparent to the kingdom. He restored Saladine to all his father's land, and gave him the Duke of Nemur. He made Fernadine principal secretary to himself, and, that fortune might every way seem frolic, he made Montanus lord over all the forest of Arden, Adam Spencer captain of the king's guard, and Coridan master of Alinda's flocks. Dear gentlemen, may you see in Euphue's golden legacy that such as neglect their father's precepts incur much prejudice, that division in nature, as it is a blemish in nurture, so it is a breach of good fortunes, that virtue is not measured by birth but by action, that younger brethren, though inferior in years, yet may be superior to honours, that concord is the sweetest conclusion and amity betwixt brothers more forcible than fortune. If you gather any fruits by this legacy, speak well of Euphues for writing it, and me for fetching it. If you grace me with that favour, you encourage me to be more forward, and as soon as I have overlooked my labours, expect the sailor's calendar. T. Lodge. Finnis. End of Part 5. Recording by Thomas Copeland. End of Rosalind by Thomas Lodge.